Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we are back for another episode. Claire, before we start, I have something to tell you. Guess what? What? Henry. Well, he says mama and he says dada, but the other day he said baby. (gasps) Oh my God, that's so exciting. And I just happened to get it, get a video of it. You did? (gasps) Yeah, it's really cute. Also, Rachel, I honestly thought you were about to tell me you were pregnant on air. (laughs) That's why I was so like, what your face is very like trying to get my reaction live on (laughs) well maybe maybe that will come soon (laughs) all right oh that's exciting though it was very cute she's turning into a little human yes it was very cute so all right so last week we were talking all about back to school even though it's a little strange but this week we are talking about visual supports And just a reminder, if you guys are new to the podcast, there are a couple episodes that would go along with last week's episode. So we would suggest listening to the PPE and safety episode if you guys are going back to in-person services and maybe the teletherapy episode if you guys are working with a remote or virtual or even hybrid model. Those episodes would be really helpful for you guys on top of all of the stuff we talked about last week. For sure. Our teletherapy episode is pretty short too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's only like a half hour or so, maybe a half hour to 40. So it's a shorter one too. And we touch on a lot of resources. So yeah. make sure you um, check that out. So this week, like Rachel said, we're talking about visual supports and how important there are to not only us as speech therapists in sessions, but also in the home environment. So we want to talk a little bit both to parents and SLPs. So parents' visuals are something super easy. They can be incorporated into daily routines and you can really see it decrease frustrations. I feel, especially if your child's visual learner, um, really any child, I think it really helps to have that visual, visual cue SLPs. I recommend getting together some visuals for these individuals you work with, um, because it could be really helpful to give their parents to use something in the home so that they know kind of what, they are working on and how to incorporate it there um, just would be really helpful. But we aren't only talking um, about, you know, certain children that are only visual learners. I think we all know that kids with autism especially learn best visually. Uh, Research has shown that. We know that from experience. However, we want to talk about all children because we really in our research have felt that all children, at least with some component of a visual, learn best that way, even if it's visual paired with verbal. Um, There was a certain study that I found, actually it wasn't a study, I apologize, it's a book. It's called Upside Down Brilliance, the Visual Spatial 
Learner. It's by Linda Silverman. And I saw, I got to read a couple little excerpts and then um, some articles that referenced this book. And she had found 63% of students. So she surveyed 750 and it was all across all ages, um, typically developing students. And they were found to be visual spatial learners. So the majority is visual spatial. The other were auditory. So um, learning best from hearing, but that visual component is so important. And then um, when you factor in kids that have language impairments, kids that have autism, kids that really have any learning disability, having a visual paired with the verbal is so helpful. And I think Rachel and I have probably both seen that with our clients. Like it's night and day sometimes when you bring out that visual. Um, I think that's really big for adults too. Like, I don't know how many people, even at work, you're trying to explain something and adults are like, I need to see it. It's too much Mm -hmm. or it's too much to comprehend. So I think those visuals are huge for a lot of people across a lot of different settings. Overall, for sure. I agree. And then another study I found actually on informed SLP, which I'm sorry, I can't give you the uh, link for it really, unless you're on informed SLP, because technically it's a paid site, but I am going to summarize it for you really quick because it was really good article. Um, It was called visual supports at home and in the community for individuals with autism spectrum disorders, long title. But what I like about informed SLP is that they give you recent articles. So this one was actually done in 2020. So it's super recent. Um, I just felt like it was nice for evidence-based practice, especially when it's something that was done now instead of in 1985 or whatever. So um, they talked about how visual supports reduce anxiety, they increase predictability, they support communication, and they improve participation. So those were like the main takeaways um, of how these visual supports were helping children with autism. They also talked a lot about the considerations for parents. So when, as an SLP, you're giving these visual supports for parents to utilize in the home, you need to consider a couple things. Um, You need to consider the accessibility. So do parents have what they need? A lot of times SLPs are going to need to give them because maybe they don't have a printer. Maybe they don't have a colored printer even. So you need to provide them with a lot of these things if you're asking them to do something at home. Um, You need to consider their participation. So are these parents actually going to do it? I have a lot of parents that are very highly motivated to work at home with their kid. I have some that are not. Um, So we really just need to see what level they are actually willing to utilize these visual supports in the child's daily life. Because like with anything, if we're not utilizing it all the time and just in therapy session, it's not going to generalize or generalize as quickly. Um, And then another one is active instruction. So this kind of goes along with the parent coaching we were talking about. So you really want to coach your parents through this. So you can't just give them the visuals. Here you go. I made these for you. Mm -hmm. And then expect them to utilize them at home. They need to know what you do. So invite them to a therapy session or the end of the day and model it for them. Give them some videos to look at. Maybe you're in a school and you don't have time to have all that one-on-one conversation with them. Point them in the right direction of some videos they can watch or some resources that they can learn about what you're doing. Um, So that last consideration is just the information. They really need to have the right information on why you're doing it, not just what you're doing. And that's kind of across the board in in this kind of stuff. So um, for children with autism, the last thing I'll kind of my spiel about why visuals are so important, especially with children with autism, visuals give them 
access to communication. So some individuals with autism don't have access to their speech mode of communication. So visuals give them that access. And we'll talk a lot about AAC in another um, episode later. Mm -hmm. So we won't get into that as much, but we're talking about visual support. So things that are going to help them learn and help them participate better and help decrease their frustrations and behaviors. And I think that's a huge takeaway too, is um, how strongly these visual supports can really decrease those meltdowns and behaviors. I love that you mentioned the accessibility part for families, because Mm -hmm. I have a couple of families that I work with right now using different visuals, whether it's pecs or token boards and all of these things we'll get into. But I, the parents that I work with specifically ask for extras Mm -hmm. for home and not just one set, because as you know, with pecs, you're working with small, like square pictures and those can get lost so easily or dirty or torn. Yeah. Yeah, Stuff happens. Yeah. So, um, that's definitely something to keep in mind. So each week when we pick our topics for episodes, Claire and I do a ton of research trying to add to what we already know, which I love. I think it's really helping both of us grow as speech pathologists in our field. Mm -hmm. And when I was researching for this week's topic, uh, all about visuals, um, I always check on the website, ASHA, the ASHA wire, where they have the leader online. And when I typed in the word, just visuals, a ton, and I seriously mean a ton of information came up on the leader alone. There was over 450, um, I know articles or tidbits or studies that came up, um, for the journal of speech language and hearing there was over 3000. Now, some of those obviously aren't going to be pertaining exactly to what we're talking about. They might just pull the word visual from something when it's not talking about actual visuals like we are, but a lot of them are. I scrolled through and a lot of it was comparing benefits to using visuals and not using them in therapy or how to use them and be more successful. Um, And that just goes to show how important and how prevalent those visuals are and using them in our field. So Claire and I both have a ton of experience using visuals. I use them a lot um, in my daily speech therapy sessions. I work in an elementary school. I always send out an email in the beginning and probably like the middle of the school year to all of my teachers, reminding them that if they need any visuals to come see me, and a ton of them do, we're always coming up with new and different ideas to see what's going to help students because you never know. And I have made some very interesting visuals. Um, Just an example. So we're going to dive into these a little bit later and what they are. But for a token board, um, I had a student that loves you know, like the Easter grass that you stuff in an Easter basket? Mm-hmm. He yeah. loves taking one of those and watching it blow like in okay. a fan or above the feet, the heater or whatever. So I have made a token board with a picture of the heater in the hallway or the heater in the classroom. And he knows that if he does whatever he needs to or works on his assignment first, then he can go to the little That's heater awesome. mm-hmm. with this little confetti or little piece of grass. So You do have to think outside of the box. It's not always as easy as iPad time or (laughs) Play-Doh. You have to find whatever is motivating for them. Right. Yeah, that's so important. I think across the board, like with these visuals, especially because we utilize them so much to give reinforcements, kids can like just about anything. And 
been so you'll hear me say this later when we talk about pecs too, but um, I feel like a lot of times therapists or parents or teachers are like, they're not motivated by anything. There's nothing that motivates them for some of these more severe kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe it and I will never stand for it. Mm-hmm. I think there's always something that will motivate them. I don't care if it's just clapping or mm-hmm. if it's something so simple that you would never even think it's something they would like. There is something out there that we can make as a reinforcer. So where to find these pictures, we want to give you guys some links. Rachel, does your school give you access to like BoardMaker or anything like that? So we do have BoardMaker. Um, we had like the super old comes on like a CD BoardMaker. We had that at our school as well. It was super old, but we had it, which was nice. It's a bunch of pictures. I don't even know what the BoardMaker membership gives you totally now. I know there's a lot of new pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, they give you some free activities though. Like if you have a login with the um, board maker online site or whatever it is, um, there are some free activities, but you can't make your own. So it's kind of, you get what you have there and whatever's available. So, um, the membership annually is a hundred, so it's pretty pricey, but that's something that I think you could talk your school into getting for the SLPs. Cause you could probably all just share the login and then Mm -hmm. you all have access to all these pictures. And I think board makers a really good one to find some of those basic pictures, especially making a schedule, um, or kind of going throughout their day, the weight breaks, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, I think is really good. Lesson picks is one that I used in the outpatient clinic I worked at and that's $36 a year. So it's not as much. And the pictures are fine. They're a little different than board maker. They're still kind of the stick figure like pictures, mm-hmm. the egghead yeah. <laughs> that I like to call it with the faces. Um, so they're, they're still kind of not as personal looking, um, but they're, they're just basic for what you need. Pixbay is one of those free, there's a couple of them out there, but one of those free, just picture, they're real pictures. So you type in dog and you find a bunch of pictures of a dog and they're ones that aren't going to get you on the copyright of them or whatever. So you can utilize those kind of pictures. If you need pictures of the kitchen and the toilet and you want real pictures, Mm -hmm. um, that's a good one to go to because they're free downloads for those. And like I said, I think there's other ones out there. Pixbay is just one that I've used. uh, One that I've used is called Unsplash. um, Okay. Yeah. And then splash. So, but there are two different schools of thought, right? So there's the the thought where you should use the board maker lesson picks, stick figures, like essentially cartoon drawings if you're not familiar with those. Mm-hmm. Or there's the school of thought where you should really be using real pictures of everything. So for example, if you're working with a student and they're extremely motivated by Mr. Potato Head, you should be using a little tiny actual picture that you took or on one of these websites like Pixbay or Unsplash of a Mr. Potato Head versus the cartoon Mr. Potato Head. Have you had better luck with one or the other? So I, you know, I feel like in my experience, it just depends on the kid. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like I try to, I, in my years going, getting like a more mature speech pathologist and Mm -hmm. having more experience, I feel like I've started to stray more toward real life pictures Mm -hmm. because in the beginning, I think we were taught more so to use just the basics because they need to just recognize that basic picture and that it's easier and it's more uniform and what have you. But, um, I, I think that overall, it's really helpful when you have the child's real favorite toy as a picture instead of just like break time or whatever. Yeah. I think it's easier 
I can't say that I've really had more success with one or the other, but I think mm-hmm. real pictures are easier for them to associate meaning to because your tiny little board maker, Mr. Potato Head might not actually look like Mr. Potato Head versus the picture of it. Right. Um, For sure. And I think taking pictures of things in their real life are, there's something to be said for that too, Mm -hmm. because again, they associate an experience with their favorite toy and they're like, wow, that's, that's my potato head or whatever it is, their music box. And they recognize it way more than just a picture of break or, Mm -hmm. um, whatever it is that you're working on. And, um, sometimes I think, especially for those rewards and reinforcements, it's good to have real pictures. Yeah. So we did, um, quickly just want to talk about materials or like our must haves for visuals. And again, we will link these on our website, just find the episode and follow those links. But some of our must haves would be a laminator for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I use like the Amazon basics one and that one has held up for quite some time. The hook and loop dot strips, um, also known as Velcro, except that's the brand. And I've been corrected on that numerous times. So you're going to need tons of that dots and strips. And then if specifically if you're using pecs, they recommend using a small binder and it also comes with a plastic strip. We will link the actual pecs one. However, I've made my own for significantly cheaper and those have held up pretty well. And then in my office at school, I use a jewelry organizer to organize all of my little pec squares. So for example, when I'm doing like visual schedules, I'll have little tiny pecs for art, gym, music, things like that. And those will all be in one area. And then the next one will all be like desired choices where you'll find like iPad or Tech Time or Mr. Potato Head, Play-Doh, stuff like that. So I thought that was a really good way to organize those. Such a good way. I feel like mine were just thrown all over my room. I know. It was driving me crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You have to be able to get to them quickly too sometimes. So that's a really good way to organize it. I've used those little, um, they're called book rings, like those little metal book rings. If you punch holes in the sides of the pecs or the mm-hmm. um, visual pictures, whatever, and then you put them on the ring and then you just, I literally just like would put it in my belt loop and it was yeah. with me all the time. Some teachers even had it on a belt or on a loop that extended. So then they would pull it off. Oh, nice. So it's always on them. I um, usually like, keep it on like my lanyard. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you can just show it to them really quick. So then you always have it. But mm-hmm. I think that's that accessibility part is really important. Yeah, the other thing that I was going to say is cardstock, if you can, because yeah. these get a lot of use, but cardstock can also be pricey. So I've even um, glued, you know, like you print them out on regular paper, glue stick them to a manila folder and then cut mm-hmm. that out. Or and then cardboard. I've done that too, even because yeah. it's thicker, like just get some cardboard boxes and cut little pieces out there. Yeah. <laughs> Use what you have. Yeah. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is PECs or the picture exchange communication system. And the first point that I want to stress about PECs is that it's different than just using those small board maker pictures like we were just talking about. I've had a lot of SLPs or teachers get confused with this. And while using those tiny little board maker pictures is still using a visual and beneficial, it is different than PECs. 
Mm-hmm. PEX is, I mean, it's evidence-based practice. So it is an actual system that you're supposed to go through. Um, therefore, you're not supposed to skip steps. So there are different phases that we're going to talk about, and you're supposed to go through each phase until they're mastered. And you're following this certain protocol that's backed by all this research. So I, I've been the same way. I've seen some people um, adapt PEX, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I also think that for long-term um, long-term progress, I would try and go through these phases as well as you can, um, in their entirety, because Mm -hmm. it's proven for a reason. And it's, it's research-based for a reason because it really works if you can get through all the phases. Yeah. So PEX is broken down into four main phases and then two additional phases after that. So First, we'll go over those phases, and then we can talk about how we can practically use this. I'm also going to link two different videos for you guys on our websites. One is an introduction video, and this is your warning. It's from 1998 and a little boring. (laughs) Um, It's 30 minutes long, but it really does give a good overview of the different phases, and you can see them going through that. So if you can get through it, I suggest it. And then the other one that we'll link is uh, Getting Started, and that's only four minutes, and they only touch on the first phase or two, but they are pretty helpful. We're also going to link a flow chart, and this was on the PEX website, and it asks you some questions about if your kid, student or child or client that you're working with is ready to use PEX. So that might be helpful for you guys too. But for the first phase, this is the how to communicate phase. And this is where individuals learn to exchange single pictures for items or activities that they really want. So uh, they suggest and we suggest having a desired item or a reinforcer. And they suggest having at least three of them to start. So these are items that maybe they resist to have taken away. They love to play with. You can use food. Like Claire said, there is something that motivates them. You just have to find it. Yes. I promise there's something like I truly can't tell you how many times people have been like, no, nothing motivates them. No, there's something. And I have used peekaboo as one, like even just an action. It doesn't have to be something tangible either. Mm -hmm. Cause I think people get stuck in thinking it has to be something that they get. It can be something as simple as a song that you sing or peekaboo or I don't know, something that you give them that's social if they seek that social Mm -hmm. attention. That's a good point that I think a lot of people think tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, you're going to find those reinforcing things and then you're going to make those corresponding pictures, whether you use board maker where there are tiny little illustrations or you decide to use the real, real life picture of them. Yeah, I think, I think I have used actually, um, like if I forget my pecs one day, I Mm -hmm. remember I've used literal post-it notes because I just forgot it and they needed to learn the system. Mm -hmm. And so we just wrote the, the teacher and I just wrote the word on it and we're like, this is what we're using because we don't have the pecs. So do what you can, you guys, again, this, this is a motor based approach as well. You really are teaching the system of giving the picture. So you, especially in the beginning phases, that's kind of what it's about more mm-hmm. so. Um, so just utilize what you can and you're going to make mistakes with it sometimes and just go with it. Yeah. So in that getting started videos where they show this first phase and they suggest you have an additional person there. So if you're in like yes. an outpatient 
setting or private practice or something when you can have the parent there that's great but as we know in schools a lot of times you don't but essentially what you're doing in this first phase is they're just tying meaning to that little picture so say we'll go back to the potato head say that's what they're working for they have the tiny little picture of the potato head, you have the actual picture of the potato head, and what you want them to do is hand you the picture, so that's their action of requesting, and then you hand them the Mr. Potato Head. <clears throat> so once we have that phase, that first phase done, we move on to phase two, and that's the distance and persistence phase. So you're still using those single pictures and individuals learn to generalize their new skill by using it in different places and with different people across distances. So they're also taught to be more persistent communicators during this time. So they can hand me the potato head, they know how to request it well. Now we're gonna to work to using it with their teacher or with their paraprofessional or with their parents or with their sister or at home or during lunch or not just in your therapy room during that structured time. Or you have them walk it to you. So like I was in a phase with this kid and I would put his PECS book down mm -hmm. Then I would walk across the room mm -hmm. and he had to get his pecs off and take it to me. Yep. So I wouldn't count it if, you know, he walked to me first. I was like, I don't know what you want. You have mm -hmm. to go get your picture. And then you'd have to walk back. And this is a kid that just hated to move around. He just yeah. wanted to sit down. <laughs> so it really challenged him. And this phase really challenges kids because they have to work harder. Mm-hmm. And then, so once they have that, they can do it across different settings with different people, different situations. That's when you move to phase three. And this is called the picture discrimination phase. So this is where individuals learn to select from two or more pictures when asking for their favorite things. And I do wanna back up um, for phase one and two. Don't only use it for potato head because they're gonna think it's only for that activity. Yeah, use it for, it yeah, that's why they recommend those three desired um, items in the beginning. So mm -hmm. then when we're in phase three, you're gonna have two of those items. So you're gonna have Play-Doh and potato head. And those two items are placed in their pecs book, which is typically a ringed binder like we talked about earlier with that hook and fastener or the Velcro strips. Um, that's where the pictures are stored. And that's when they are removing what they want, making that choice and handing it to you. And I will say that a lot of the kids I've gotten to this phase with you find out that they've memorized the motor movement, but they have not visually gotten the pictures. They don't visually discriminate between the pictures at all. Um, so you really need to watch out for that. And if that happens, uh, what I've done is I've put a super non-preferred item in there. So a sock or broccoli or just something that they would never, ever, ever ask for. Mm -hmm. And so you put the sock next to the music box and you teach them to visually discriminate that they have to look because there will be kids that just don't even look at all. They just put their hand down, they grab it and they give it to you because they've learn the motor movement, they know what to do, but they're not making a choice. And that's mm -hmm. a big part of this is learning to choose. So that's part of communicating what you want, right? Like you have to tell what you want. Yeah. So you want to make sure that they're still able to make that choice, that they're not just grabbing it and doing what you want them to do with it. Yeah. I think that's why sometimes actual pictures are probably more preferred because even a tiny little cartoon drawing of a broccoli exactly. might look more 
I don't know, appealing than it actually is. Well, and maybe they think it's a tree for outside. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go outside. So they pick it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So then once they're done with phase three, they move on to phase four, which is the sentence structure phase. So this is where individuals learn to construct those simple sentences on the detachable sentence strip. So that's included if you get the actual binder from um, PEX. And usually to start those sentences, we do I want, and then they pick the picture. Um, and that's how they're requesting that item. But again, if you don't purchase that, it's as easy as laminating some cardstock or like Claire said, some cardboard uh, just to make it a little bit more sturdy. So then after those two phases have been met, those are the four basic. There are two additional phases after that that you can introduce to help those individuals learn to expand their sentences by adding things like adjectives, verbs, and prepositions. So the next phase would be phase five, and that's responsive requesting, where individuals learn to use those pecs to answer questions such as, what do you want? And then once they've mastered that, you move to the last and final phase, which is phase six and commenting. And this is where individuals are taught to comment in response to simple questions such as, what do you see? What do you hear? What is it? And they learn to make up those sentences starting with, I see, I hear, I feel, or it is a, and then whatever the item is that you're talking about. Yeah. And I love pecs because I feel like it gives kids, especially that just are refusing to use maybe a higher tech version of an AAC. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives them something because they're visual, but they're not able to activate icons on an iPad. I know these iPad systems are all the rage right now for AAC. And sometimes a child isn't ready for something like that. They need something lower. And we'll get into that in another episode. But um, I think that that's something super helpful about PECS because a lot of these kids just need to know what communication is. And that's what PECS does. It supports that interaction. The individual isn't just pointing to the picture he wants. He's picking it up. He's reaching, handing it to his partner, and he's releasing it, giving it to the listening partner. And that's so huge in this. And the data collection sheets really um, outline that. So when you're taking data for these PECS sessions, Mm -hmm. you really want to look at that. So, um, on the PECS website that will, that we link, there are the free data collection sheets. So you can see what I mean by this, but there's different columns. So there's the pickup reach and release column. So you have to check, did they pick it up by themselves? Did they reach by themselves? And then did they release it to give to you by themselves? Um, and then there's also a column that says, is it hand over hand? Did you have to like support them? A lot of kids will require either full hand over hand support, partial, which is just like at the wrist or minimal, which is maybe at the elbow. There's some different prompting that goes on with that, that they teach you in the training, but um, you kind of want to back off on your prompting, but you probably will have to start with that hand over hand because they're not going to fully understand that they want that you need to, or that you want them to pull it off, reach and hand it to you. There's a lot that kind of goes into that. Um, At the school that I implemented it at a lot when I worked in the schools, we taught the paraprofessionals or the aides in the classrooms to implement this as well. So when I wasn't around, I gave them the data sheets and I was like, this is what you do. I need you to do it at least 10 minutes a day or like during snack time. I think it was actually during times that I, that I had them do it during their snacks or Mm -hmm. um, whatever it was, it was scheduled into their day. 
So by the end of the week, I had five separate data collection sheets. And how awesome is that? Because you can see so much more progress that way instead of just in your speech sessions. Um, the kids that I was working on this with, obviously we don't get a lot of time with them because as a speech pathologist in the school, you just don't. So it was really, really nice to have a lot more data collection with that. Have your families that you've been working with been receptive to this? Because I've had some say, well, that's not talking. That's not communication. Why are you spending so much? And then I've had others like very interested, very involved, happy that their child is doing that. I will say that I feel like the parents that have been the most enthusiastic about it have been my older kids. So the mm-hmm. ones that when, when I was working in the school, I did K to high school. So I worked with, um, the, there was the year that we were trained in PECS and we honestly implemented it with every single one of them in mm-hmm. the moderate to intense room because they all needed a form of communication and we were doing iPads, but they weren't really responding to it. And so we did PECS and we did it as a group and we had, you know, the designated PECS time. And I felt like the parents really responded to it because again, we, they've been trying things for years that weren't helping with that verbal output and it was giving their child a means to communicate and it was working. So I think that parents definitely, they need something tangible to see that something is working for sure. And I think parents would agree with me in that. You you just want to know that it's going to work. And unfortunately, with a lot of these things, kids are so different that we're just not sure what will work for them. And when they're younger, um, it's a lot easier to implement some other things like sign and Mm -hmm. different AAC things before we start on something lower tech because we want them to do something higher, obviously. So um, with some of the younger kids that I've implemented it with, I get that reaction. Like, I don't want to teach them to teach, to communicate with pictures, but you're really not, you're supporting their communication. You're not changing it. You're right. just supporting it so that they're able to have an outlet. Yeah. So the next thing that we're going to talk about would be visual schedules. So this is probably the most common visual I think that everyone thinks of. And I would say I make a fair amount of these, um, probably for my self-contained rooms. I usually do the beginning of the day and then the end of the day, just because seeing all of it can be overwhelming. So it'll just be a little, a lot of times I do it right on their desks. So they'll have a Velcro strip on their desk. They'll have five little pictures of you know, like we start the morning with breakfast and then we move to morning meeting, then we have special, then we have, I don't know, daily five and then lunch. And then the teacher will come in and switch it after lunch for the end of their day. Is that typically how you use them in the school? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, in a short session with speech therapists that maybe work in a clinic, you can do it in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like you just take them away for or they're just smaller units of the schedule instead of all day. It's just your 30 minute session or whatever. But, um, I think taking them away, you kind of have to see how your, how your client responds. So are you going to just take it away and it disappears Mm -hmm. or are you going to let them move it maybe from left to right? So they know that like the left column is things they have to do. The right column is things that they have done. Some kids respond really, really well to that because they can see all these things they've done in their day. So I think that's a good way to use these schedules too. Yeah, I've used, I've made out of like a manila folder. Um, So there's a strip on one side and then I cut little 
I don't know, like sections. And then yeah. once they're done with the first, you flip it over. So it covers it up. Mm -hmm. um, so that way they can still see that the things that they've accomplished and then yeah. the things that they have to do. Yeah. So just get creative with it. See, like that's so simple, but it works and it's visually working for certain kids. You just kind of have to see, um, I know visuals is very broad. So you yeah. just kind of have to see what kind of visual schedule, what kind of visual works for that child. Um, sometimes first then is easier too to start with visual schedules. So shorter mm -hmm. units. So first we're doing this, then this, instead of putting it all on one big schedule. Um, that's kind of how you transition into the big schedule. They'll get there, but you might want to sm start smaller with just two expectations. Yeah. And even then. with some of my students for first then, instead of doing like first math, then lunch, sometimes mm -hmm. we, I start with first work then break, especially for those yeah. kids that need that motor movement or just a preferred activity before they move on to the next thing and mm -hmm. then transition to first these two tasks right. and then transition into yeah. first, you know, the morning stuff and then the afternoon. Yeah. So it's really just trial and error too. Like you've got to see what works well for the kid in their schedule too. Yeah. Um, we also wanted to talk about some visual cues for behaviors. So this I feel like is really helpful, especially when, well, working in a school and a clinic, I want to mm -hmm. say, I guess all around, because you're going to have behaviors regardless, but especially in a school when the parent isn't around, I feel like in a clinic, um, I was more prone to, oh no, we're having a behavior. I get the mom to come in and help me with it. It's way easier to do that than when you're in a school, you're all by yourself and you need to figure it out. So um, having those vis visual cues of quiet voice or wait or walk or break, um, there's a ton of free resources of visuals, even if you don't have board maker or lesson picks that you can just get these, you can get... Um, like colors that they know. Mm -hmm. So like green means it's time to walk or something like that, mm -hmm. that they recognize. I love the one for um, noise levels. So like yes. indoor, outdoor whisper voice. Um, mm -hmm. I also have a student that has a goal for decreasing interruptions um, because he gets really stuck on a topic and just wants to talk about that and only that. And it's very difficult to um, transition him onto what we should be talking about and because of that, I think it's, he's having a difficult time making friends. So when we work together, I just have a tiny little stop sign mm -hmm. and, um, I clip it to my lanyard. And when he sees that he remembers, or it reminds him that he needs to stop and either right. ask someone else a question or just take a break from talking about his preferred activity. So I think that's really helpful too. Yeah, that's super helpful. I agree. And then I think we've kind of touched a little bit on these token boards. I'm sure SLPs use these because they're our best friends for any kid, like mm -hmm. of any level, any age. It's so helpful just to know for them to know how many tasks they have before they get a break or before they get to go or whatever it is that's motivating them. Um, I feel like we all use those. Yeah, those are really common in my school, especially for kindergarten and first grade. And mm -hmm. I have a couple different ones. So first I have, um, you know, obviously the pictures up at the top showing what they're working for, but I have some with only three stars that they have to get. I have some with four, I have some with five, and I will tell you, they always 
recognize or realize when you move to the next one. So when you I'm, add one, they're yes. like, you can't fool me. <laughs> I've heard them. Yes. So they cute. call me out every single time. Like before I only had to do three things. <laughs> you're like, yes, but you're getting older. Yes. You do more things. Yeah. That's funny. And these can be used on telepractice too, you guys. So mm-hmm. um, really everything that we're talking about can be used. I know that it's uh, hard to implement these visual cues like for break and things like that because you're usually holding them up, but you could have them ready on your screen so that you can pull it up if they need it. We can adapt all of these things to being over telepractice. So I think that's really important because a lot of us are going to be over telepractice this year or this semester, whatever it is. Um, choice boards. So I think I, I use these a lot actually in telepractice. I have been lately, um, because it gives kids the power to choose what they want to do and it makes them more prone to participate, especially in these, uh, telepractice sessions. So I literally have a PowerPoint with, do you want this or this? And it's two options or maybe three, depending on what they can choose from. And then I literally copy whatever that is onto the slide with the token board. So I'll have two separate slides on that PowerPoint. And then the next will be the token board slide. And so they have five stars and then they get Minecraft video or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I put that picture on there so they know what they're working for today. Um, I also have some clients that I'm working on making choices with. So these visuals are really important when you're working on what do you want or um, which way should we go? Like there's some interactive stories and stuff that I use with making choices too. And -hmm. sometimes just having the two visuals instead of all the things in the story or the words around there, um, just the visuals to choose from is, is very helpful. Yeah. I feel like I don't use these as much typically just because they know what they want to work for, but I do agree that it can be really rewarding for the child to kind of have that autonomy to pick their choice or reward. Yeah, for sure. And then timers, this can be on your phone. It can be a picture of a clock. I don't care what it is, Mm -hmm. but they, Children do need to know the concept of time. So obviously they can't spend all day with you. They also can't only spend one minute with you. That's not how it works. There's a certain time and, you know, schedules, this kind of goes along with your schedule. So, um, giving them warnings too of one more minute, five more minutes is really helpful. I think that's a really good, actually, um, auditory feedback to give them that I found more so than visual too, is giving them that verbal one more minute two more minutes, um, especially if they're used to hearing that, it kind of helps prepare them like, okay, one more minute, I got to do something. And they respond really well, I think, to the auditory timer feedback too. Like if a a timer goes off and rings, um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of more so with that auditory feedback. Last year, I think it was last year in the dollar spot, obviously, because I love Target, (laughs) they had a set of, I think it was four sand timers and one was one minute, two minute, five minutes, and I think 10. And those have been like the number one thing that my kids love. And I saw someone post this year that Michael's craft store has them. So Cool. That out for sure because yeah, I love those. I agree. So many different types of timers. That's yeah, that feedback is awesome for them. Mm -hmm. So Um, next, we're gonna talk about social stories. Sorry, Claire, I cut you off. (laughs) No, no, no. I was gonna say we were gonna talk about social stories next too. We're just keeping up with it. (laughs) All right. So for social stories, you can find them for pretty much anything, and even if you just Google, you know, blank social story. So for example fire drill social story, because I know that's something that I always have to work on with my kiddos that are self-contained or have ASD 
or noisy lunchrooms or making friends or even like personal hygiene things. I know we've talked a lot about COVID social stories and there are a ton out there. And I think that visual with the short sentences that are really important and kind of time meaning are extremely helpful. And read is something you read every day so Mm -hmm. that it becomes systematic and they know what to expect. They know what's going to happen. These are something really good too, to give parents to have at home too, because there's not just social stories for things that happen at school. There's a lot of things that can happen at home too. Um, So I think social stories are really important for parents to have access to as well. Yeah. Um, Visuals in fluency therapy. So stuttering therapy. I usually always actually make some sort of visual cue for my client that I'm seeing of their fluency strategy. So um, whether this just be like me holding up my peace sign, whether it be an actual picture of whatever it is, my client and I make it together so that it's something that they recognize that they want to do. Again, it can be a gesture or it can be a picture, whatever they want. Um, The point of the visual for them is so that I'm not interrupting them. It decreases my amount of interruptions which is usually something that uh, clients that stutter really have that complaint about is that people interrupt them when they're not finished. And I never want to be that person. So it really helps me to hold up my sign or do my gesture instead of being like, oh, stop, you need to do that again. You need to use your strategy. First of all, that's annoying. Second of all, again, you don't, you never want to be interrupted when you're trying to say something. So I think it makes it a lot more positive for them when you're utilizing visuals with stuttering. Yeah, I've also used the bumpy road versus a smooth road, um, even even if you just make it, right? So it doesn't have to be a picture necessarily, right. although typically that's the easiest, but you can make a little road and put rice and macaroni and beans and things that would make a little matchbox car be bumpy yeah. and then a smooth road. Um, and I've had a lot of success with that. There's also the visual with a turtle talking. Mm -hmm. I'm not really a huge fan of that one because I feel like it can have kind of a negative swing to it because then they might be worried that their speech is too slow and then they feel like they need to compensate by going faster, but then they get stuck. But I don't know. I've had some success with that too. Yeah. There, that's a whole nother thing. Like there's some recent people that say, you know, you shouldn't focus on slow speech and that's Mm -hmm. what turtle talk is. Um, but at the same time, the turtle could be a cute way just to remind them, Hey, I really need to think about what I'm going to say and Mm -hmm. go through my words a little slower. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So that wraps up everything we have to say about visuals, but we want to hear how you guys are using visuals in your therapy sessions too. And we know there's so many ways. So seriously, tell us we yeah. want to know all the ways you use them. For sure. So feel free to either DM us on Instagram or email us because we would love to share the ideas that you guys are using too. And I feel like I always learn from you guys. Like this whole community is awesome, this SLP Mm -hmm. community on here. So please let us know some things that we didn't talk about that you use because it's great to hear about. And then um, 
kind of switching gears, don't forget about our shirt campaign that's going on right now. If you follow us on Instagram and Facebook, you have seen our posts about it. They're super cute shirts that Rachel designed. She's awesome. <laughs> She's the brains behind that operation. I don't, I'm not as creative, so <laughs> don't expect that from me, but um, they're super cute and they have the rainbow with your words matter and donations um, will be made to the Children's Lebanon Crisis relief fund, which we feel so strongly about that was so devastating what happened a couple weeks ago in Beirut. And we really wanted to give back, especially um, having a platform of you guys who are so supportive. So um, you'll get a shirt out of it and you'll be supporting a great cause. Yeah, we've had a ton of you buy them already. So yeah. we will shout you out for sure next episode. So that wraps up this episode. And thank you guys again so much for joining us. As always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. You can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on Facebook and Instagram, which a ton of you have been doing. So we see you, you. and we love you. Um, so make sure you give those a like and a follow. And don't forget to check out our website, which is letstalkaboutspeech.com. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in Virginia or Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. And then Rachel and I always also still have an email for the podcast. So you can send any of your feedback or questions or suggestions to there if you want. Let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And you guys have been so great. And we seriously appreciate your support. I know this has been such a fun ride for us and we're so excited to keep giving you guys some great episodes, but we have loved this so far. This has been like the yeah. best summer because <laughs> of this podcast. We started it at Agreed. the beginning of the summer and I just feel so excited about it. So yeah, we have some really awesome things coming for you guys yes. too. We're, we're very excited about that. So make sure you stay tuned. Yep. Thanks everyone. Bye.